Just Thinking is now available on the Family Radio app. If you're not familiar with Family Radio, you're in for a treat. Family Radio is a different kind of radio station. We are passionate about the Word of God. If you like the Just Thinking podcast, you'll love our bold biblical teachers like John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, and many more. Our stories of hope testify to the power of Christ to change lives. And our music will help you worship God throughout the day. Classic hymns, new hymns, and worship rich in theology. We are honored to add Just Thinking to the Family Radio app. Find out more at familyradio.org or download the Family Radio app from your favorite app store. Family Radio and Just Thinking, coming together to keep you thinking from a gospel point of view. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omahe? (laughs) (laughs) We do it how we do it. Hey, I'm excited about the fact that we're here at the National Ligonier Conference, right? Give it up for Ligonier. Give it up for Ligonier. We we are incredibly humbled, honored to be here, Daryl and I, and uh, we 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 brought our you know uh, the, the man, the myth, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend, the hardest working the man, the hardest in podcast working land. man in podcast land with us, because we knew that between you and I, we probably needed a moderator, <laughs> or maybe yes. not, or maybe not. Oh, we'll be here all day. We'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, we brought our executive producer, Dwayne Atkinson, with us, the man who's put us together. Man, we're honored to have you, yes, man, sir. and have you, have you, he's going to, what, what Dwayne's going to do is he's going to kind of interview style. He's got some questions. He's going to toss back and forth. He's going to try to do his best to moderate between Daryl and myself. So this will be interesting to, to watch, entertaining to see. Right. And I, I would love for you, man, to start as I toss it to you to kind of give a little bit of background because you talked a little bit about uh, Ligonier and, and its importance to you sure. and, and 
what you'd always dreamt about doing. So I want to, as, as I toss it to you, you would y'all mind giving it up for Dwayne? Awesome, awesome. So, <laughs> so like Virgil alluded to uh, years ago, um, I, when I actually was inspired to do podcasts, like before there was a bar, before there was anything, I was watching a particular podcast and they were here live doing a live podcast recording. And on that very day, I was like, man, I hope one day God, I, I could do that. Uh, fast forward, by God's grace, we are here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm super excited. Um, and just to talk about Ligonier, man, um, mo- most people that listen to my podcast know I came out of the charismatic movement. I came out of the word of faith. And uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul was instrumental. I, I'm, you know, I love books now, but I wasn't an avid book reader. I was a YouTube guy. And by God's grace, Ligonier had everything on YouTube. So I would send hours just literally just going through all of his teaching, the holiness of God, you know, just going through every one of those teachings, notebook in hand, YouTube, notebook, you know, don't judge me, but <laughs> just notebook and YouTube. And, and that shaped and molded my, just my spiritual walk as well as my journey. Yeah. And just seeing that excellence. And I love everybody living there. Uh, I'm always big up in them all the time. Yeah. And just seeing that excellence, uh, you know, inspire me. And uh, so I'm going to just throw it uh, to either one of you guys. Uh, what has Ligonier, I'm going to go to Daryl first. What has Ligonier uh, meant to you, man? Yeah, so I would think probably I'm not unique in that. Uh, I would say many people probably in this audience right now can credit Ligonier and Dr. R.C. Sproul for their introduction into Reformed Theology. I mean, sure. that, that was the case for me. Um, I came from an ecclesial background that, believe it or not, was sort of a commingling of um, evangelical charismaticism and Roman Catholicism, mm-hmm. if you can, if you can imagine those two uh, together, that's 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 the environment that I grew up in mm-hmm. from a church standpoint. But when I heard uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, I actually was introduced to Dr. R.C. Sproul and Ligonier right around the same time I was introduced to uh, John MacArthur and Grace to You. It would have been the early '90s, and uh, those two gentlemen together, uh, Dr. Sproul and uh, John MacArthur, who who were amazing friends uh, in life, uh, prior to Dr. Sproul's passing. Uh, they were the first uh, men who I ever heard uh, teach expositionally from the scriptures. I never heard the word expository preaching. Mm-hmm. I grew up, believe it or not, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, in the uh, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical culture in which I grew up, the word theology was never used. Right. Uh, so when I read Dr. R.C. Sproul's book, What is Reformed Theology? Um, like many whose light bulbs went off when you heard Dr. Sproul talk about the doctrine of election Mm -hmm. and that salvation is a monergistic work of God and you really have no role to play in that, my mind just exploded. Because when you look, it's like Dr. Sproul would say, you know, when you look at what Reformed theology is, um, um, the the doctrine of election is is throughout Scripture. It's there if you really want to look to see it. so Ligonier and Dr. Sproul uh, demonstrated for me that the text of Scripture is infinitely deeper than the words you see typed on a page. Uh, it was because of Dr. Sproul that I would read a text and then go see what it, what it is in the Greek, see what it is uh, in the Hebrew. And I was a lot like Dwayne. Um, you know, I loved school growing up. I loved school, but I, I was not a reader. I thought reading was boring. <laughs> but it's like I've told my wife, uh, my wife and I have had many, many conversations on this. And one thing I've learned uh, since that introduction to Reformed theology is that you cannot study, you cannot call yourself Reformed and not read. 
you will read. You will become a student of scripture. Somebody you, tweet that. Could somebody tweet that out real quick? Just get you, tweet that out. Yeah, you, you cannot call yourself. I wish a I had my Hammond B3. Yeah. I don't have my Hammond. You, so. you, you can't do that. You cannot call yourself. My, my library, my personal library, has absolutely exploded in the years uh, uh, since I was first introduced to Dr. R.C. Sproul and Ligonier. Virg, why don't you tell your story? Yeah, man? well, I, I, I would say that for me, uh, I, I, would, I would always view this, um, this conference from home. Right. Uh, and my first introduction to Ligonier, to R.C. Sproul was uh, via video. Like Dwayne, I came out of a charismatic background. If I told you the names and the people, you'd probably you'd be un- sure. it's unbelievable. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty detailed story. But I, I, was, I found myself at a traditional SBC with a guy, a friend of mine who is a former Catholic, uh, who handed me a book. Uh, over the course of breakfast, we would meet. I, I, I'd always uh, wanted to connect with older men. So I would always be mentored by older men. So this guy was about 20, 30 years older. And we sat down and he handed me this book. And so I, I look at it first for the first time. And uh, it said, what is Reformed Theology? And, and like many of you who've read the book and saw that, and you kind of open the pages, then your mind explodes. Yep. And and it's almost it's almost as if you've been born again again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, where yeah. you're like, I I now understand what took place in salvation right. that I did not understand before. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I I want to I want to live my life differently. I want to I want to enjoy Christ all the more. I can't wait to. I mean, the the beauty of of this of of what God did through the Son and, and His monergistic effort to save just transforms your life. Mm-hmm. And so that was me. I mean, I, I, and then I, I couldn't get enough. I, I, I mean, I was always, always wanting to, to get more. I remember two, two men, again, the, the two men you mentioned, who had the largest impact on me theologically uh, would, would be John MacArthur mm-hmm. and Dr. R.C. Sproul. And my goal was always to, and I'm in the middle of Omaha. My whole goal was, man, if I could just, before either of them pass, get to a conference to shake their hand yeah. and say, thank you yeah. for what they've meant to me. That would be all I'd ever want to do. So yeah. upon, uh, upon RC's passing, and I know you've expressed this same feeling, uh, I, I felt like a family member died. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Truly did. Uh, I, I, I felt like a, like a fat, like, I mean, I, 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 it, kept, it carried weight on my heart for, for a period. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then got a chance, you and I got a chance to go out to uh, Grace Community Church mm-hmm. and uh, got a chance to, uh, to, to meet just briefly uh, Dr. John MacArthur mm-hmm. and just say thank you. But these are men who, whose, whose lives have had impact and, and are impacting generations, uh, and, and I'm grateful. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Uh, when, I, when we got the call, uh, the, the invite by, by, uh, by, by Brother Chris Larson, mm-hmm. I, I was just floored, blown yeah. away. We almost dropped the phone. Yeah, I dropped yeah. the phone. Yeah. I I, I, I I did go a little Pentecostal and got a little Bucky. And got a little, <laughs> only half the room knows what I even mean when I yeah. say that. But, you know, got me a little got me a little Pentecostal dance in, and then I went back to my reformed. I th- threw my bow tie. Right, you got your straight out the collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I Tightened th- up the bow tie. <laughs> nice. Wow, wow, wow. So, uh, I guess all the fun and games are over. Uh, what, for, <laughs> what you guys are here for, uh, what Just Thinking is known for, and we actually alluded to that in the beginning, was our content. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, find us 
through the the racial issues, the social issues and things like that. But uh, what I always remind people is, you know, I'm sitting between two strong theological men. Like we have a catalog of really good content that exceeds the uh, social justice, exceeds CRT uh, in our category. So if you're new to us, I want to make sure that you know that. But we do know why we're here. And, uh, and we're going to address that thing. And so I want to just kind of kick it off because we just released an episode this week uh, talking about uh, theory versus theology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I'm going to let Dur- uh, Virgil kind of kick it off and, and, and watch me sit back and let them go because that's how, how it works. Um, but so uh, first, Virgil, man, um, you know, in the show notes itself, we talked about the church being at a dividing line, that there's a decision that needs to be made and 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 what direction we need to go uh kind of let's let's jump into that yeah. and 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 talk about what that is what it looks like yeah. and in which direction the church should be yeah in. i'll i'll tee it up but this was this was truth be told if, as as i kind of went back through the show notes this was more of a more of an issue and and there was a there was a uh a kind of an analogy that that Daryl you had given about the, the about the, the Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, so we we looked at Lewis Lewis Carroll's book uh Through the Looking Glass, which is where the story of Alice in Wonderland's come Wonderland comes from. And those of you who've listened to the episode heard me say sort of make the analogy of uh that being a good depiction of where the church is right now today. You know, you you know the story where Alice is at this fork in the road <clears throat> in the story in Lewis Carroll's book and she encounters this Cheshire cat as she's at this fork in the road. And uh, the Cheshire cat asks, you know, what's, what's wrong? What's the matter? She says, well, I'm at, I'm at this fork in the road and I don't know which way to go. You know, which way do I go? She asked the Cheshire cat. Well, the cat says, well, that depends on where you want to go. Mm-hmm. She says, well, but I don't know where I want to go. And then the cat responds, well, then it doesn't matter which way, which way you go, does it? Yeah. And that's where the church is right now. This is exactly why we titled that episode Theory Versus Theology, because the church has placed itself. And as I said in, in that episode, episode 109, you see, it's, it's one thing for you to come upon a fork in the road, mm-hmm. but it's another thing altogether when you bring that fork in the road to yourself right. because of your own decision-making. And that's what the church has done. The church has presented itself, it's brought, it's, it's brought itself upon a fork in the road encounter where they're, and, and they're faced with the decision, are you going to follow a theory or are you going to follow theology? Right. One of the things that I did with that was I, I tried to use the, the, uh, the commercial analogy uh, <laughs> that I picked up from Quaker Oats. Some of you might be oh. old enough to remember this. Some of you young ones have no idea what I'm talking about. But in the, in the late 70s, I think, the, I, I think when I did the research, I think this started in 1972, but mm-hmm. it, had a, it, was a, it was a commercial that had a 10-year run, and it was a commercial, the Quaker Oats. It was a kid, uh, two kids. They were looking at this cereal that was supposed to be good for you. Life cereal. It was life cereal. It was supposed to be good for you. And they, they were like, I'm not going to try it. You try it. <laughs> I'm not going to try it. You try it. And then they thought, well, I know. Mikey hates it. But let's get him to eat it. He hates everything. So they push it over to Mikey. And I liken the bowl of life cereal to CRT, mm-hmm. where, where, there, where there's a, when we use the analogy of, of, of maybe a, a Presbyterian and a Methodist who are saying, you know what, we, we're not going to fool with this stuff. Now we recognize that there's some categories of Presbyterians and Methodists who are fooling with this. But, they, but the whole thought process is this, that, that we're going to push this over. And what we're watching happen within the circles around um, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in particular, they're like Mikey. Mm-hmm. And they're just mm-hmm. eating just this eat up. stuff up, believing it to be good for them, uh, when actually it creates incredible harm and destruction everywhere it goes. And one of the, one of the things that, that, that Daryl and I have talked about and, and that we've tried to think through, 
is if, if CRT is such a wonderful thing, if CRT, if critical race theory is such a wonderful thing, and again, a, a lot of this is assumption, the assumptions that we're making, because normally we spend the time unpacking what critical race theory is. We have a whole episode where we talked about, we, we looked at critical, what that meant, we explained it, what, what, what race is and biblically, and we've done that, and theory and what's meant by that. So, so we're, we're assuming, we're using this language, assuming that you all kind of understand the terminology around what we're talking about. But, but when you look at, at critical race theory, I, I, I wanted to go back through the lens of time and, and say, where, show me a culture where this theory has been utilized to the degree that it's created the level of success that those who advocate for it say that it provides. When actuality, when you look everywhere where it's been tried or used, it's created more destruction. And so I, I don't know why they think that the cereal is going to taste any better passed over to the next denomination, but it's not. It's, it's, actually, it's actually something that's going to destroy. So that was the, those are kind of the two analogies from that particular uh, episode that we, that we tried to leverage in that. You know, Verge, as I listen to you there, I'm just reminded of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching against this very same thing back in the 50s over in the UK. So what does Ecclesiastes teach us, right? Ecclesiastes teaches us that there's nothing new under the sun. sun. Right. Mm-hmm. Critical race theory is not new. Now, in Martin Lloyd-Jones' day, they weren't using the term critical race theory, but Lloyd-Jones was preaching against the social gospel. Mm-hmm. The critical race theory is just another layer of the social gospel. Now, as we talk about critical race theory, and for those of you who have listened to that episode, you know that in that episode, we do what we normally do. We basically start off by defining terms. Uh, the Just Thinking Podcast has gained a reputation for that, that we we don't just dive in feet first uh, into an issue. We take the time to define the terms, because as we said many, many times, um, words have meaning. Mm-hmm. And unless you define the terms, you define the, you get the context of the conversation by defining the terms. So when someone comes to you and they say, well, they won't have a, they, they'll, they'll say to you, well, well, okay, I believe in justice. Well, first of all, you have to be able to push back. Well, okay, what do you mean by justice? Right. What do you mean? Now, as a Christian, when you look at the word justice in scripture, I don't care whether it's in the Greek or the Hebrew, when you look at that word, it always ties back to the righteousness of God. Absolutely. It is never a human That's construct. Right. Mm-hmm. Never. Especially in the Hebrew. You look at justice biblically, and it ties to God's character. It t- literally, it ties to his righteousness. It literally means righteousness. Mm-hmm. So justice for the Christian means to do right according to God's righteousness. It has nothing to do with outcome. Mm. Nothing to do with equity of outcome. See, see, and again, this is what you have to understand. There is a distinction to be made between equity and equality. Equity is 1 Kings chapter 3, where Solomon has to adjudicate the situation between these two women who both claim that the baby was theirs. Solomon knew that his first allegiance was to judge righteously. Okay? Meaning, well, I need to investigate what the truth is here. Mm -hmm. We have one baby, two two women claiming to be mothers of the child. Now, equality would have been for Solomon to carry through with what he threatened to do when he asked for that sword. He says, bring me a sword. Mm -hmm. See, equality would have been Solomon cutting the baby in two, giving each woman half a dead baby. That's equality. (laughs) Equity is judging in truth according to what God's words is the equal. I, I define equity this way. Equity is the equal, uh, uh, impartial application of God's law to every person. 
regardless of outcome. Solomon knew that one of those women was going to go home without a baby. Now, if he had judged on the basis of equality, truth wouldn't have mattered to him. He would just say, bring me the sword. Okay, you take the bottom half of the baby, you take the upper half of the baby. That's equality. Yep. Both of you guys have half a baby. Yes, the baby's dead, but you got half a baby. Equity was, was Solomon's priority. And the, pro- the, pro- the problem right now in the culture, and I want you to understand this, is as, even as you define terms, even as you define terminology, equity, equality, what's happening right now in the culture is they're using these words in, I mean, it's almost like a shell game. You guys know a shell game where, you, where you've got, there's a, there's a good, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a good, these are good reform people. They don't play shell oh, games. Okay. <laughs> they don't gamble. Oh, that's right, bro. My, they don't gamble. My bad. Y'all pray for me later. <laughs> y'all, y'all, come on, come I, on I, man. I gotta fix it. Yeah. These, these guys read Calvin. They don't play my craps. Bad. My bad. Where they're moving the thing around, not knowing where. So, so one moment you're going to hear language like uh, uh, health equity. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, who's not for that? Right. But what they mean is equity of outcome. Right. Right. And then you're going to hear, you're going to hear uh, things about, about economic equality. And what they're going to mean is equity of outcome. And, and, and none of us, listen, the, the, I, it would be one, what, what we have to do, but what's important to the believer is that we have to get back to biblical terminologies. Because once we leave the pages of scripture and we begin embracing the language of culture, we're in trouble. So it's imperative that when you, when you define equity, when you define equality, you open your Bible and understand that always when we're talking about about equality, we're talking about equal in the eyes of God on the basis of the fact that Genesis 127 says that we're created in his image and likeness. And as a result, all of us have distinct value, dignity, and worth. That's equality. Now, from there, equity of outcome, you won't find that in scripture. That's not what takes place as a result. And so we've got to think about these things from a standpoint of having biblical language about the issues that we're addressing. You know, one example that I like to use from scripture, because that's what we do on the Just Thinking podcast, we turn pages. We right? turn in pages. We turn pages. <laughs> so uh, one of the great examples of what Virgil's talking about, the, the, the distinction between, and I, and I love what Dr. Burke Parsons was saying today. Uh, Dr. Parsons, if you're within the sound of my voice, I just want to say uh, what, what an awesome job you did today speaking to the uh, heresy that is the social gospel, the social justice of movement. Thank you for that. But one example that I like to take from scripture to help make that distinction is in uh, Matthew chapter 11, where we have uh, the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Now, no one would argue that John the Baptist was imprisoned unjustly. Would everyone agree with that? He was imprisoned unjustly. Um, you know, Herod's wife influenced Herod to have him jailed mm-hmm. because John had spoken the truth about Herod's adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. Herod is imprisoned unjustly. Unjustly. Yeah, we John, agree on that. John's in prison. Unjustly. John's in prison. John's in prison. Yeah. Ooh, I wish it was Herod, but John, 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 <laughs> John the Baptist is in prison unjustly. Right. Now, while John the Baptist is in prison, he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, ask Jesus, are you the, this is Matthew 11, ask Jesus, are you the expected one are we to, or, or are we to await for another? Right. Let me just read this passage real quick from Matthew 11. Jesus responds, right? He says, go back to John. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said unto him, are you the expected one 
or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. Mm -hmm. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, social justice Jesus would have said this. (laughs) I just quoted you from the biblical Jesus. Right. (laughs) Social justice Jesus would have said this. No, go back to John and tell John that the poor all have houses. They all have homes to live in. They all have jobs. All the poor students have had their student loan debt wiped out. Everyone has No one's salary is higher than the other person. Everyone makes the same amount of money. The hourly McDonald's worker, the CEO of McDonald's now makes the same wage as the hourly McDonald's worker. So that's equality. Right. That's equality. CRT Jesus would have told him to let go of that whiteness. <laughs> that's see, another conversation. That's another. another that's another episode. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> but see, what, what we're what Virgil and I are getting at here is that see, we we have to we say this all the time. We have to be better theologians. Mm-hmm. See, what's happening in the evangelical church right now is that nicism is taking over. Mm-hmm. Nicism is ta- we we're now viewing manners as being salvific. Oof. So the tone, see, the, the tone equals truth now. The tone equals truth. So we're so, being, being, we're so busy being nice that we don't take time to find out what Jesus himself. Listen, Jesus was the most confrontational person to ever walk the face of this earth. But nicism now uh, it, it has become almost the sixth sola. Right. <laughs> right. Not, not, being nice has become the sixth solar. Right. Solar feelings. Solar feelings. <laughs> yeah. Not solar fide. Solar right. feelings. That's a t-shirt. Sol- That's solar a t-shirt. feelings. <laughs> it's, it's solar feelings. So, but when you look at when you look at what Jesus said, how many times in the gospel did Jesus respond to a question with another question? Mm-hmm. What we do on the Just Thinking podcast is we ask questions. We yeah. dare to ask questions, and we dare to say that Scripture has the answers to these questions. So what we have to do is be better theologians. Yeah. We have to be Bereans. But that comes from sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. See, if you don't believe scripture is sufficient, nothing else matters. Right. You see, these issues that the church are being confronted with now, right now aren't issues. They aren't new issues. Mm-mm. They aren't. They're only new manifestations of the same sin nature we've been dealing with in Genesis 3. Right. So why are you at a church right now? Why are these pastors asking us, Verge, as they did after the George Floyd episode that we dropped? Right. No offense to anyone. Well, how should I, how should I talk to my black friend? <laughs> how, should I, how should I talk uh, to my black friends who's grieving the death of George Floyd? George Floyd was, was killed on May 25th. I'm, I'm about to bust, man. I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you, bro. Night, <laughs> George Floyd was killed on May 25th, 2020. Someone who comes up to me and asks me, well, what should, how should I engage my black friend? Right. I'm gonna, like, what were you doing on May 24th, 2020? Right. Right. You do the same thing you were doing on May 24th, the day before George Floyd was killed. You embrace your brother right. as an image bearer of God, right. Right. regardless of his skin color, right. and you engage him the same way you were doing the day before George Floyd was killed. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm, my thought, brother, is that is... I think I think when people engage in that way, their thought is, and I'll turn it back over to you, brother. I know good. you guys. Okay, hey, I know, uh, make my job easy. Go I, ahead. I, I, <laughs> the thing that I wrestle with is why 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 the assumption mm-hmm. 
that because of the level of melanin in my skin, there's some greater grieving that I have than anyone else. Come on, man. Because at the end of the day, if we, what we've done in that instance, brother, is we've, we've minimized the Imago Dei. Right. And we've maximized ethnicity. Right? We, we've, 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 we've maximized melanin count and we've minimized the Imago Dei. So I should have greater, greater, a greater degree of sorrow on the basis of, so, so my sorrow would actually be less than your sorrow because you got more melanin. Right. Yep, mine right. too. Right? You have, a, you have a sorrow deficiency. Yes, yes. I'm deficient in a you lot of a, areas. You, so have, a, you have a sympathy deficiency. I get it. <laughs> I, well, that makes sense. I mean, based upon that logic, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but see, you talk about the, talk about the value that we give to our ethnicity. Mm-hmm. The thing that's laughable about that is that people take pride in their ethnicity as if they had something to do with right, it. Right, right, right. Now, I can see if you were the, uh, the, the, to use the pot kettle analogy, I can see if you're the pot, you're a self-created pot. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you got something to boast about. Right. But you're not a self-created pot. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is our fundamental passage, right, uh, verse, yep. uh, Acts chapter 17, verses, uh, verse 26. Acts, I'm sorry, guys. I know we're in uh, ESV territory. <laughs> but I read from the non-Armenian Standard Bible, the NASB. Look, don't, 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 don't worry. I got, I got some for that. <laughs> where, where are my crossway folks at? I got some for that. Acts seventeen twenty six, and He that is God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. The word nation there in Acts seventeen twenty six is the Greek word ethnos, from which we get our English word. Ethnicity. This is a fundamental text. If you're arguing an apologetic, which we do all the time, this is a fundamental text, Acts 17, 26, to argue against the idea of race. Race is not a biblical construct. Race is a social construct that goes all the way back to Dr. Samuel Morton, the craniometrist who, out of his studies, and and, and Morton was a uh, a successor of Charles Darwin. Mm Mm-hmm. Morton was a craniometrist and where he sort of uh, compared the sizes of skulls of different uh, 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 human beings, different ethnic groups, and he ranked them by cranium size. Yeah. So because Caucasians had the largest cranium, he put them at the top. Uh, Africans had smaller cranium, so he put them at the bottom. Right. Every time you use the word race in a social cultural construct, you are promoting uh, uh, Samuel, uh, um, Charles, uh, Samuel Darwin's, I should Sam, call them Charles, Samuel, Samuel Morton, yeah, Samuel, Samuel Morton's, Samuel Morton's, uh, pseudoscience of race. Right. As a matter of fact, Samuel uh, Morton is known as the father of scientific racism. Mm-hmm. Race is not biblical, people. Ethnicity is the accurate term. Mm-hmm. I remember our episode that we did on the biblical theology of soul food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was deep if you if you not listen to the episode go back and listen go to justthinking.me mm-hmm. hit the podcast tab and then scroll down until you get to the episode of biblical theology of slow food we Virgil and I in that episode we go back to Genesis 11 and use Genesis 11 the diaspora where God disperses all the people from the Tower of Babel across all the face of the earth to develop a biblical theology of soul food and how you get that by God dispersing 
people to live all over the face of the earth. You get the different ethnicities, you get the different cultures, you get, and by virtue of the different cultures, you get the different foods, you get the different music, you get the different literature, you get the different art. All the answers are in the scriptures, folks. You do not need to embrace and invite worldly philosophies, ideologies, and terms into your church. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and before I hand it over to you, Virg, I need to say this from John 17, 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays to his heavenly father. He says, he, he, in, in that prayer, Jesus uh, uh, draws a line of demarcation. He, uh, he, he declares to his father that those to whom, those whom the father gave him are not of the world. That little two-word preposition of is very significant because with that one preposition, Jesus is declaring that there's the world and then there's not the world. Mm-hmm. There's the world and there's not the world. Why in the world is the church trying to befriend the world? Right. Why is that? Why are we doing that? And, and critical race theory, the social gospel, liberation theology yeah. now, again, under the guise of unity, right. under the guise of niceness, right. under the guise of not wanting to offend anybody, when we serve the most offensive person who ever walked the face of this earth, here we are trying to be offensive to people who even Jesus himself said you should be offended by. Yep. They're going to offend you. If your gospel doesn't offend, then your gospel's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 there's so many things that you covered, so much ground that you covered uh, in that. I'm actually going to turn it back before I jump into because <laughs> you and I can go back and forth. We forget Dwayne's here. That's all good. So I told you. Y'all, I, I got my bow tie on. Okay, I you look good. good. You Y'all good. just keep going. I'm good. <laughs> what do you got for us, Dwayne? No, I was, I was going to kind of piggyback off of what Daryl was going. Um, another one of my favorite episodes about uh, biblical unity. Um, because everybody's seeing it on Instagram, Facebook, you know, we're united, this unity, rah, rah. And, and I know where you guys are going and I know the listeners are going to, uh, enjoy it, but, but just kind of talk about that, that framework of what we saw, uh, in social, in the world when it comes to unity versus going in the direction of what the Bible says about yeah. unity. Well, uh, you, you, I mean, it's a false unity. I mean, we did it, we did it, we did a whole episode on, on the calls now for unity on the basis of what culture is determined we should unify behind. Um, Daryl and I spent an entire episode talking about the basis of, of biblical unity. Unity is always on the basis of truth. Uh, it starts there. And if, if, if what we're trying to unify with has no basis or truth, or worse yet, actually contradicts that which is truth, we, we have no, the Bible doesn't give us any, any way or reason to, to unify uh, with that, I mean, mm-hmm. so so we, we we ought to know that that ought to be clear, um, and and uh, and that's 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 the standard by which we should we should judge those kinds of things. One of the things I liked about the episode is, matter of fact, if you haven't listened to it yet, it's episode one hundred and six, titled "A Biblical Exposition of Unity," and this is one of the few episodes versions that we uh, that we did by request. Mm-hmm. Almost, we had coming out of the elections of November yeah. twenty. Uh, 2020, there were a lot of leading evangelicals whose names you would recognize if I were to mention them, calling us, calling the church to unify, yeah. unify, unify. You know, just the timing of those uh, declarations uh, for for unity were just re- really, really just just didn't fit well with me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, by request, had several people reach out to us and said, "You guys really should do an episode on this." So we did. 
Um, and one of the things I enjoyed about doing that episode is we had the opportunity, as we as we do on every episode, we define the terms. Mm-hmm. We gave you three defini- three scriptural definitions of unity. The the word unity in scripture appears eight times, in, uh, six times in the New Testament, six times in the Old Testament, one or two times in the New Testament. <clears throat> in the New Testament, the word same word, the word unity has three separate definitions. So again, when someone's calling a unit, you have to ask them, well, what do you what mean? What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? There are three definitions of the word unit. The unity where the Christian should land is on definition number three. I can't recall the text right now because I don't have the notes in front of me from that, from that episode. But the, 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 the definition of unity that we landed the episode on and developed our thesis upon was the Greek definition of unity that means agreement with God. Mm. Unity, biblical unity, is agreement with God. Period. Yeah. So, so again, I, I, I want to jump in just here to say, th- we've got to hear that. Got to. Like, like believers, believers got to hear that. Mm-hmm. Like, like that, 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 that should be our amen. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I don't mean just a, just a verbal amen in here. I mean that should be a so be it in here. Okay. Biblical unity is agreement with God. Amen. Yep. And now as a result, when I look out in the culture and I see that I see the, the culture telling me that I need to unify with all these ideologies that oppose God, or, or, or I need to link up with an organization called Evangelicals, uh, Evangelical Pro-Lifers for Biden. I, I, that's an oxymoron, right, first of right. all. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then, and then secondarily, none of that aligns with the cause and sake of Christ, if you understand the, the, the platform of, of, of Biden and those who are right. the, the Biden Harris platform and those who, yeah. who, who, who are pursuing it. I, I, that, that's, like, that's like saying evangelicals for Judas. Right. <laughs> now, Even, evangelicals for Molech. Evangelical, let, let, me give you, let me give you an idea how to make evangelicals for Judas work in the social justice environment in which we stand Do today. It. The evangelical for Judas uh, movement would say, well, yeah, I know. okay, so. I realize he betrayed Jesus, but he betrayed him with a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Look what we could do with those 30 pieces of silver. We could feed so many poor. Right. That's the logic in the church today. That is the logic of the church. That's the logic that we're sitting in the church today. Mm-hmm. But l- listen, look, look. Even when used as a euphemism, the word gospel, somebody may, may say, here you say something, right version, I say, whoa, that's gospel right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's gospel. Well, what they mean by that is that there's nothing else to add to that. Right. That's the amen verse that right. you're talking about. Right. Even when we use it as a euphemism. So ask yourself, why do crits, by their own definition, right. C-R-I-T-S is, is short for critical race theorists. Why do crits, why do social, evangelical crits, that is another oxymoron, why do evangelical crits, why do evangelical liberation theologians, why do evangelical social justicians say well, this worldview is as helpful as an analytical tool it's not. to add to the gospel. Yeah. See, if you want to add anything to the gospel, just pause there for a second and say, why would you believe the gospel anyway? Why do you tr- because to add something to the gospel is by definition to argue that the gospel is incomplete. It's insufficient. The gospel is insufficient. insufficient. So if you want to add, why would you believe an incomplete message? Why would you say to me, well, yeah, I trust in, uh, in the uh, work the propitiatory, the, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, right. and yet say with an asterisk. See, I call that gospel with an asterisk. Wherever you see an asterisk, you know in a document, you know to look for the fine print. Right. So why would you add anything to a, a, a gospel, a, a, a message that you've said, that right. you, you're a message in which right. 
You have placed your eternal destiny. Right. And yet say, yeah, I think, I think it'd be helpful to add. Yeah, add that. It's, 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 the, it's the Mikey thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I'll, I'll try it. It's, insuffic- it's, it's an insufficient gospel. Again, we, I, I want to go back to something you said earlier about, about needing to understand the sufficiency of Scripture. Because, again, Dr. Sproles, Dr. MacArthur, they're the ones who fought the Battle of Inerrancy. <clears throat> Right. Uh, they, they, they're, they're the ones who fought that battle, planted the flag. That's a wrap. But he, he, here today, what we have in this next iteration is a is, is folks who are gonna are gonna validate inerrancy. Oh, I believe it's inerrant. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it says everything it says. I believe it's true in, in in every way. And but but what they're gonna do is is they're gonna say it's insufficient. Right. So when when they land on the insufficiency of scripture. What they often do is land on on the gospel being right. insufficient, right. Right. exactly. And so, so the gospel is now insufficient to transform the heart. It's 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 insufficient to see sanctification happen in the life of the believer. Right. And as a result, we need these analytical tools to mm-hmm. come alongside to mm-hmm. to examine the life of the believer mm-hmm. to ensure that they're walking uprightly. Right. That's exactly what they're saying. That right. is blasphemy. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. But see, that's we don't call it that though. We don't call it blasphemy. Why? Well, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody by calling blasphemy. It's, it's, it's as if one of my favorite passages in the scripture is John 4, Jesus' discourse with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. Mm-hmm. But see, again, under niceness, under nicism, we pretend like Jesus just invited this woman to a Starbucks and said, hey, sit down. Let's have a latte. Let's have a, a, a you go to Starbucks all the time. Love yeah. Starbucks. You do. So, you so do. he goes to Starbucks. Yeah. You know, as, as if, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. We've got this sort of, a hippie visage of Jesus. Easy. Mm. Where he, we just picture this Jesus is walking Let's slowly. Let's just take my Starbucks off of the table. Yeah, star, Starbucks off the table. Okay. <laughs> now you can go back to hippie Jesus. But we, but we got this hippie, hippie vis, visage of Jesus where he's just walking slowly down the beach side in slow motion. The sun mm-hmm. is setting in the background. He's wearing sandals. You know, he's got this flowery reef over his head. He's holding up a peace sign and just t- talking love, 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 love. Right. And see, but that's the visage that that of Jesus that most people have grown up with, right? Yeah. You see, but when you when you understand that Jesus, uh, Jesus was under attack from day one of his ministry, right? Why? Because he 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 dared not not to conform to the culture. He could have easily conformed to. The, see, listen. Before Jesus came, there were plenty of people before him who were talking about loving one another, right? But see, when you when you when that's your visage of Jesus, I wrote a blog article recently and I titled it "Theistic Amorism." Mm-hmm. I titled it "Theistic Amorism." You got to explain, you gotta explain yeah, the, theistic, the, am- theistic am- amorism. So theistic comes from the word theos, meaning God. Amorism, amorism comes from the word amor, meaning love. So you have theistic amorism, and theistic amorism is being in love with God's love at the expense, at the rejection, or the ignorance of His other attributes. Okay. So we have a church right now who's full of theistic amorous. Mm-hmm. They think all Jesus was about, they think Jesus was about love, 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 love. And not only that, it's their, it's their definition of love that they impart to Jesus. Right, right. Could, well, it's, it's, based, it's based upon feelings. It's based upon emotion. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's elevated the human condition and, and, and the human desire. So whatever I believe uh, is, is what Jesus would love, that's what he would love. And the irony, Virgil, of what you're talking about is the, the, the more we talk about in the church about how we should love one another mm-hmm. based on our own definition of love, we, have, we, we never ask to stop and ask ourselves the question, why, why, do, why do we have to talk, about one another, talk to one another about loving one another? Why do we have to talk? Why do I have to encourage you 
or exhort you to love right. another person. Right. Well, because innately, we don't we're, do that. No, we're, sin- right. we're sinners. We're sinners. Right. right. Exactly right. Right. And at the and in the end, the gospel is the only message that addresses the sin condition. Right. You see, the Quran talks a lot about justice. The Quran talks a lot about justice. So if it's just a moral issue, if it's just an issue of morality or manners or ethics, right. I can just open the Quran and do what the Quran says. Right. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not moralism. The gospel is not moralism. So we have in the church today, we have an evangelical church now, especially in America, that's engaged in an adulterous relationship with the world. It's committing worldly... Oh, hold on, I got to tweet that out real quick. Let me. <laughs> we, have, we have a church that's engaged in an adulterous relationship in the, with the world. That's what, I mean, that, that's, that, that's all through the scripture, right? And I'm going to point one that, out. Okay. And I say that on the basis of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes this, he says, for I am jealous for you. This is of God. I'm jealous of for you with a godly jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband. So that's that marital language mm-hmm. that Paul is using here. So that to Christ, I might present you as a pure virgin. And see what the church has forgotten is that Christ ultimately, God ultimately wants to present to Christ a pure church, mm. not a pure world. He wants this church to be poor. We have been betrothed pure. to Christ as our husband. He wants the church to be pure yeah. and holy. Yeah. Okay. He said poor. 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 Yeah. Well, the, so, the social justice will argue <laughs> they want the church <laughs> to be poor. Right. Right. I knew what you meant. You know I just, I mean. Yeah. I, I know it's going to be recorded. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, dissected. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. He said poor. Yeah. So don't get it confused. Yeah, yeah, Liber- don't, I don't yeah. want liberation theologians out no, here no, talking no. about what. Well, yeah. 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 Sell, all, sell all your belongings and give, give to the. Mm-hmm. Well, at least, at least, let me just digress here for a second. At least in Jesus's uh, uh, discourse with the rich young ruler, at right. least Jesus did acknowledge that those were his possessions. Absolutely. See, true. the social justice doesn't, doesn't acknowledge do that. No, it's all communal. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's all communal. Absolutely. Okay, so, but anyway, Second Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians eleven, Paul says that we have been betrothed to one husband. That husband is Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but because the church now is trying to be everything to everybody. We find ourselves in an adulterous relationship with the world, trying to engage a world and trying to befriend a world and be, be friends and be accepted by a world, mm-hmm. which by definition is supposed to reject the gospel. Absolutely. Well, two things. One, if we understand the monergistic work of salvation, uh, we, we simply preach the gospel because the gospel of CRT is no gospel. So we have to preach the gospel so that, so that, so that what God has done in the hearts of the, of the elect can be, can be amplified, can be effectuated. Oh, right? oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so what you're talking about there, Virgil, just reminds me of just a, a, another gaping hole right. within the church, the evangelical church today where we don't believe that. We don't believe the gospel changes hearts anymore. No, we don't. We don't it's, believe it's, it. it we, at least what I think is happening in church culture is our thought is, the, and you mentioned it by, by, by when you talked about the asterisks. What our thought is that it, the gospel and something else must be required. Right. So the gospel and cool music 
when you come into the church that sounds worldly so that people can feel comfortable when they come in. Well, it's the gospel and, well, I've got to shorten my sermon because it's only got to be so long because people lose attention spans. It's the gospel and, well, I've got to have this display of some, of some kind of whiz-bang thing on the stage to entertain people so that when they come in, they feel more comfortable around us. It's, 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 all, it's, it's the gospel plus something that's required. Why? Because we, we don't believe the Bible is sufficient. So the, the, the Bible insufficiency requires, it, 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 it results in the fact that we think that the gospel's insufficient. Gospel insufficiency ends up resulting in our belief that some worldly ideology needs to be added as an analytical tool in order to, to rightly divide the heart, discern the heart of men when the Bible is absolutely clear that it's the Bible, uh, that it's the word of God that actually rightly divides. It's actually, it's, it's actually the word of God that's the sword. And I think we're guilty of that to a large extent because our Christianity is so comfortable. We've gotten so comfortable in our Christianity. It's it's amazing how a God whom we believe or profess to believe in who was nailed to a cross that we expect our Christianity to be so comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's just unbelievable. You know, you think about, uh, I'm I'm thinking right now of R.C. Sproul's book, Are We Together? And that whole uh, uh, battle uh, 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 or, or discourse that he gives is sort of an overview of the distinctions between Protestant theology and Roman Catholicism mm-hmm. in that book. Uh, no, we're not together with Roman Catholics. We're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but, but do we have the courage to say that? Right. Do we have the courage to say that? So, but 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 a lot of times we we step back from those kind of encounters and those confrontations. I don't care what the heresy is. Uh, but we step back from that because for some reason, again, we exalt tone above the truth. Right, right. We exalt tone above truth. Yeah. I don't know why it is. Why do we just assume that Jesus just whispered everything? <laughs> <laughs> he just he whispered to the woman who's caught in adultery. He whispered to the right. he whispered to the Pharisees in, in Matthew twenty three, where he said, "Woe after woe after woe." He was like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just whispered. Right, right. It's, 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 it's like in uh, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter one, uh, where ta- where Paul talks to the Thessalonians about Jesus, the the judge. Right. Okay. We like baby Jesus at Christmas. Right. We like dying Jesus at Easter. Yes. But see, between Christmas and Easter, yeah, there's oh. Jesus the judge. Yeah. You see, but we don't like that. But see, Jesus says in first First Thessalonians chapter two that he's going to come back in flaming fire mm-hmm. with his angels mm-hmm. to judge and destroy all of those who did not believe. Yeah, yeah. Two, that's, two, the same, that's the same Jesus. Two, two thoughts there. One, one is the fact that as you, as you talk about this and we examine the landscape of the church, I think that, that's one of the reasons why I'm thankful for ministries like Ligonier. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm thankful for places like where, where, where I get to work at G3, where, where folks are, are towing the line for truth. I'm thankful for platforms like the one that we have here with just thinking. I'm thankful for the audience who comes and listens. And, and, and while we've been here, we've heard t- time and time again, I heard you, I thought I was going crazy at first when I noticed what was going on in the culture. I heard you guys and you were saying the things that I knew to be true, but you said them in a way that made sense. And now I'm, I'm even that much more closely holding tightly to scripture. And, and it's those, I mean, that's a big part of the reason why we continue to do what we do in spite of all the darts and the things that get thrown and the names we get called and, 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 and all, all, all of that kind of thing. I, I think about that as well as the fact that, that you know, with, with opportunity like this comes arrows. 
I right. mean, they they, they and really bullets. do and bullets and 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 and, and again we we're, we're new we're new we're new kids on the block mm-hmm. so to speak right the R C Sprouls of the world the John MacArthur's of the world have have seen that but the but the question is this where are others like that who are willing to stand up and speak truth and be beholden to it you you're talking about the niceness and the whispers mm-hmm. and the whoa you mm-hmm. know we we can't think that that is what's going to going to be what we need moving forward as we as we continue to see this advance of the kingdom because his kingdom will indeed advance. Right. The question is whether or not you and I are going to be a part of it because we're bold enough to declare in the same way that Jesus did the truth. Right. Right. And and, and, and I'm thankful for those who, who connect with just thinking because I know that that they listen to us. You don't spend three hours listening to a podcast like this right. and, and not have a desire to know and understand what the truth is. But again, they're always going to be those detractors. We don't worry about them. We worry about, about being focused on truth and sharing that. And we're thankful for, for ministries like this, as well as for people like you. Would you mind taking just a moment and giving yourselves a round of applause? I appreciate you guys a ton. Wait, are we done? No. no. Okay. No. Just a, no. no, I'm just taking a breather. <laughs> I'm taking a breather. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned the words like truth and gospel. Uh, I, I have this phrase that I use sometimes where, you know, when, when Christians cite certain Bible verses that they like, mm-hmm. I, but they cite them in such a way as if you're reading them off a bu- bumper sticker. Right. I, I call that bumper sticker theology. <laughs> hashtag, the, hashtag hermeneutics, bumper sticker theology. Yeah, hashtag hermeneutics, hashtag bumper, bumper sticker theology. Right. And just as I hear you mention the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. I think about how far the church has gotten from a core fundamental understanding of, of what that name, the significance of the name Jesus mm-hmm. is. So I flip back to Matthew 121, right? Matthew 121, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Yes. Not because the name sounds nice, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not because it's got a nice ring to it, you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mm-hmm. The gospel is a message of salvation from sin. Amen. Fundamentally, mm-hmm. take away all the ribbons and the bowls and the sprinkles on the donuts. The gospel is a message of salvation from sin. It is the message right. of salvation from sin. That's Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven by it which a man must be saved. saved. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus and the gospel is Jesus because Jesus came to save his elect from their sins. Right. And see, that's a fundamental message that the church needs to understand. The gospel does not exist to make sure your debts are wiped out. <laughs> see, what the social gospel does and critical race theory do, critical race theory uh, and the social gospel, liberation theology, they all deny God's universal principle of reaping and sowing. <laughs> So I don't care if I am black. If I don't pay my mortgage, guess what's going to happen? Yeah. They got to do it. Getting foreclosed, okay, has nothing to do with me being black. Right. If I don't pay my bills, there's a consequence for that. Now, if there's, yeah. a, if there's a get out of jail free card on my mortgage for being black, man, I might. You're not dark enough, man. Oh, thank you. Right, you're not dark enough. You cancel that. <laughs> see, 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 see the oppression I'm under? Y'all see this oppression up here? But see what the what the what the cult what the culture calls social justice, what the culture calls social justice, the gospel calls that obedience. Mm. Christians are to see after the poor. Mm-hmm. Christians are to see after widows. But what does Paul say? Paul said when talking about widows, he said those who are widows indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Even the widows have to demonstrate that they're legitimately widows and that their needs are legitimate. 
The church, the church is supposed to meet needs from the inside out. This is scripture. Right. Paul says you see to the needs of those who are the household of faith first. Then you work out from there. But it's not a blank check. I just can't sit here and say, oh, I'm poor, I'm poor. No, are you really poor? Right. Are you really poor? Because there are, con- there's the, the, uni- the I say the, uni- the principle of, of reaping and sowing is universal because it applies to every person indiscriminately. If I stand out in the street on the five freeway in LA, mm-hmm. I should expect to get hit <laughs> by a car truck or, or a truck. Right. I should expect that. Right. You see, so there are fundamental principles that we as professing, and I'm having to use that. Anyone else find themselves using that qualifier, professing, professing believer more often yeah. these days? I'm using that, that qualifier more and more often these days because what I'm finding, and I say this in the spirit of Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, that many professing believers today just are scared. They're cowardly. They don't have the courage to stand for what they believe. And see, there's a, there's a distinction between you know, you know what your belief is a, you know that your belief is a conviction when you have to stand for what you say you believe. Mm-hmm. Unless when, you it cost, to, when it costs you, you something. something. Yeah, once it costs see, you something. See, where we are, where I am now in LA, <clears throat> in Grace Community Church, and what's happening uh, to Grace Community Church and John MacArthur and the elders of Grace Community Church at the hands of the state of California, the city of LA, LA County, the LA County Health Department, mm-hmm. they've been after Grace Community Church and John MacArthur to shut Grace Community Church down for nearly a year. Mm-hmm. But Grace Community Church has refused to shut their doors. Right. Refuse to shut their doors. Why? Because we're called by this. Right. We don't get our rights from the, from the government to open our doors. Mm-mm. Those rights come from the God of the church. You see, and many evangelicals have forgotten to whom the church belongs. Right. See, you're accountable to whom you belong. Right. Not to whom you can say, who says to you, you can do this or that. No, you're accountable to who you, whom you belong. Right now, as I sit here right now today, for the past countless sum, number of Sundays, Grace Community Church is being fined $1,000 per Sunday by L.A. County for every Sunday Grace Community Church opens its doors for worship. Mm-hmm. The governor of California, the mayor of L.A. have not relented. But John MacArthur, Grace Community Church said, nope, we're going to open our doors. One of the things I wanted to add to what you said, because I thought you were going to go there, because you talked about the fact that, that the, the gospel impacts from the inside mm-hmm. Out, that, that the message of the gospel is, is a transformation of a heart from the inside out, taking a heart of stone and creating a heart of flesh. But what the social gospel does, what social justicians have a desire to do is their desire is to see transformation change from the outside mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. And so their thought process is, well, it's not working. The gospel's not working fast enough. It's, it's insufficient. I don't see it happening as quickly as I desire. And so what I want to see, what I want to see happen is, is, is my own personal outcome or my own personal idea of how things should be set up and established. Right. So their goal is to work from the outside, and they do so through, through the use of government power and influence and everything outside that they can in order, to, in order to create transformation. And they're trying to do what only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. They want to see men live rightly. They want to see, they want to see fairness, they, or at least they claim that, you know, based, based upon their standard of what that is. But they, they want to see equity. They want to see justice on the basis of what their worldview uh, provides, which, right. is, which is insufficient because they've neglected scripture. It actually, actually makes no sense. It's, it's built on no foundation whatsoever right. because they, 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 they lack a, a biblical framework from which to work. Yeah, so, so all of that works from the outside. So, so, so to your point about the distinction between the gospel and the social gospel, so the gospel works from the inside out, from the heart. The social gospel works from the outside, attempts to work from the outside in. So this is why you see social justicians uh, uh, advocating for the removal of statues. Mm-hmm. 
Let's remove these statues. Let's, let's tear down these institutions. Let's deconstruct this and then reconstruct that. So they're trying to achieve um, behavioral societal transformation without heart regeneration. Mm-hmm. You see, this is especially the case when it comes to slavery. We haven't touched on that. No. But I'm about to go there. Okay, okay so let's, let's go, go there. Let's skip my next question. Go there. Yeah, let's, go, go. let's go ahead and go. <laughs> let's go ahead. <clears throat> we did one of the episodes that we did on the Justinian podcast is on slavery reparations. And we began that episode by, uh, by my reading directly and quoting from uh, one of the many slave narratives that I have. One of the, uh, one of the mistaken uh, uh, labels that Virgil and I get, because we're uh, sociopolitically conservative, uh, we're reformed, uh, uh, is that we don't have an appreciation for history in America, especially American history. Yeah, you, you have a colonized mind. I have a colonized mind. Yeah. So I need to be set straight. Yeah, I, I have a colonized mind. Right. So, uh, but uh, I've said, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast in my personal library at home. I have read more books on slavery than any other subject with, with the exception of theology. Mm-hmm. If you were to visit my office at Grace to You, and, and you're welcome to come by anytime for, for a tour of Grace to You, you would see in my office, I have more books on the subject of slavery. I've studied slavery more over the years than any other subject with the exception of theology. Virgil and I mentioned on our Critical Race Theory episode that we're both historians and theologians, mm-hmm. but we're historians because we're theologians. So we look at history through the lens of biblical homardiology, right. the doctrine of sin, and every issue that we're seeing in the world today is a result of the sinful condition mm-hmm. of mankind. Mm-hmm. I sit to you here right now in your presence as a descendant of African slave owners. My paternal roots go back to the Balanta people in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa. The Balanta people sold their own people into slavery to the Portuguese, to other slave traders in exchange for farming tools. The Balanta people were, were rice harvesters. Mm-hmm. They grew rice. The Europeans exchanged farming tools so they could have better pro- pro- productivity in their rice harvest in exchange for slaves. slaves who, slave traders who looked like me we're selling people who look like me into the transatlantic slave trade. Right. So if you want to look at slavery intellectually, honestly, you can't start in 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. You need to go way back right. to Africa and to black Africans who facilitated the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there would have been no slavery in America. It for black Africans. Right. And, and that, that, that takes us back to the, the conversation, because I think that that was the episode that we did on slavery reparations. Right. And so every four years or so, or really every election cycle, yep. you hear this, this call for reparations. Mm-hmm. And, and it's designed to evoke emotion right. from a specific demographic so that they can get all excited about the idea of some form of reparations so that they can vote for a particular candidate. It's the greatest manipulative, manipulative tool that gets used over and mm-hmm. over and over again. You would think that it would stop working, mm-hmm. but it actually still, unfortunately, carries weight in, in, in black communities. Right. And so what happens is we hear about, hey, I, I, I think there needs to be a council on slavery reparations. Mm-hmm. What they always want to do is they want to end at, at, at 1619. Right. They, they don't, they don't want to go all the way back to the African slave trade right. that actually took place by Africans. Right. And if, if we begin to go backwards and, and further back, we, we understand that slavery wasn't uniquely uh, positioned in Africa. Right. But this is something that took place around, around the, the world. world. Yep. 
and, and that all of us, in fact, I was, uh, there was a, 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 a situation that happened in Omaha. Most of you know that my, I'm AKA Omaha. So I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. If you've been watching the news in Omaha, there was a situation with a, a basketball coach. And the basketball coach had, uh, had made a statement. Now, poor choice of words. Uh, but what he did was that he gathered the team together and he made the statement. He said, Hey guys, let's all, let's all stay on the, let's stay on the plantation. Let's stay on the plantation. Right. And, and so he, it was Creighton, Creighton University basketball player. He admitted that he had made the statement. He was upset about it, disappointed by his choice of words. His players were upset. And again, in the culture that we're in, that, that, that word in, in, you know, I mean, it triggered folks. It got mm-hmm. folks excited. Now, I, I, you know, I was talking, I was, I was talking with Dwayne and, and some others about, about how, how you navigate that. What, what does that, what does that do? What, how, how do you, I, I think personally, I believe we're in a, a hypersensitive racial culture. It's a racialized culture. And so every word triggers somebody to the point where they can't, they can't function anymore. Well, this guy's being excoriated when what really should happen is just say, hey, you know what? That's probably a poor choice of words. He'd apologize. We should probably just move forward. I'll give you, I'll give you another, another example. I was in, a, I was in a, a room one time. I was teaching a class. Uh, and in the class that I was in, uh, there, the, the probably average age of the class had to be somewhere in the, the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these folks were in their 80s. Um, and, and this was right after Ferguson. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm teaching this class and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a leader there at the church. I'm, I'm going around to different classes. I was in this class and this lady had just watched what had happened in Ferguson, the riots and all of the chaos. And she says to me, she looks at me and she says, she says, Pastor Virgil, and I said, I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, um, what, what can we do for the coloreds? <laughs> and I thought, you know, I, I, there, there are a number of different responses that I could right now have, mm-hmm. right? I could, I could pass out. I could get triggered. I could talk about the systemic racism that's inevitable. You know, mm-hmm. we could do that. Or I could just stop provide a space of some grace and just listen to what this woman was saying. She, she had no ethnic, you know, anger or rage or, 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 or anything aimed at me. For her in her 80s, that was, there's probably another term she could have used if she wanted to be pejorative, <laughs> right? <Oof>. She, she, <laughs> her, right? <laughs> she, she, her, that was the term she used. And, her, and what she was asking was out of a position of care. Her thought process was, you know, the same. I'm, I'm watching something happen that looks crazy that, that's happening. And, and, and my black brothers and sisters are the ones who are upset. Maybe there's something specific and unique that we need to do for them. Now, I, I, my response to that, now, I, I know you want to jump in. <laughs> my response to that was just to listen to her. And, and really to, to, to then gently bring her to, you know what, what, whatever you would do for them would be what you would do for anyone that you cared for. I think you should pray. Uh, I, th- I think you should, you should be thoughtful to, to anyone who you see are in need, but, but you should also probably turn off your TV and quit listening to the narrative that the news is trying to paint for you so that you don't get the idea or, or the narrative that's being given to you uh, from a culture that means you no good. I know you have something you want to do. I just want to say that that little old lady hasn't done anything that many black liberal social justicians do. Mm-hmm. She thought in her, probably in her ignorance, mm-hmm. 
I'll give her that. She she probably thought you would be one to speak on behalf of all black of everybody. Right, right. But what do the CNNs do? What do the MSNBCs do? What do the Fox Newses do? They go out and get a mouth a black mouthpiece to represent the entire black population. Right. They do the exact same thing. Right. Which is offensive in this way. It robs you of the Imago Day. Absolutely. It robs you of yeah. the uniqueness in which God created you in his image. Right. That's what I'm saying. That was, that, was, that was the point I was making earlier. Yeah. So that's the point you were going at earlier. So, so, so we need to be as Christians. See, we don't, re, we don't get reactionary when we don't take possession of what God himself is responsible for. <laughs> right. Right. You see, what we're, do, what, we're, what we're doing in the church today is we're trying to take God's gospel from God and make it ours. Right. So now what matters is not what offends God. What matters is what offends me. Mm-hmm. You see, you should not offend me. Now, when you have a, when you have a sort of theology of, of um, God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. God's electing you by his mercy and grace, Ephesians 2. Come on, man. When you walk in that, mm-hmm. nothing should offend you. Mm-mm. What should offend an undeserving sinner? Mm. Mm. Come on, where, where my Hammond be? What, free what, right now? What, what on this earth should offend an undeserving sinner? Right. It's Romans five six. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What do you have to be offended at? No, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Right. right. Are you kidding? Right. She says, what can I do for the colors? Okay, I'm going to be offended because she used the word color. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. It's Acts 17, 26 again. Yeah. You have nothing to do with how you look. Not only was God sovereign over your ethnicity, Acts 17, 26 says he's also sovereign over where you were born and when you were born. Mm-hmm. The very boundaries. The very boundaries of your existence. God is sovereign over that. How can you get offended at that? Right. That someone didn't use the correct, the politically correct sociocultural term. If this woman's in her 80s, see, this is is another lie of social justice. This (laughs) is another lie of the social gospel. The social gospel teaches that you as a white person should understand where I came from. Right. But notice that but I have no other, obligation to do the same. Right. I was just going to say oh, the I'm onus is never that. the <laughs> onus is never on us. Right. Right. The onus is never on the black person to understand the white person's uh-huh. experience. Well, that's the same. The same is true with regard to uh, the, the the saying that you and I you and I have dealt with this. The saying that uh, that gets repeated from uh, from uh, Martin Luther King that the eleven o'clock hour yeah, the most on Sunday hour. is the most segregated hour uh, in America. I, I'm hearing people repeat that today. Yeah, mm-hmm. in in 2020, where 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 King may have had a case to make because there were segregated areas of town, maybe mm-hmm. right. Anyone repeating that today is just being ridiculous, and 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 I'm and I'm being generous and kind and 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 stating it that way. Why? Because it's it's not the most segregated hour. For one, I mean, folks are making decisions about where they attend church on the basis of where they'd like to go. It would be segregated if I, I pulled up to, you name ABC White Church and got ready to walk in and they said, oh, no, we don't, we don't, we don't have your kind here. 
then 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 we're talking about true segregation. segregation. Then right. we're talking about what 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 we're, what we're talking about are people who are making decisions about where they would like to attend church. And see, that's separation, yep. right? Yep. Segrega- separation is not segregation. segregation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Again, another distinction where you need definitions. Separation is not segregation. Right. I can take you to some some zip codes in Atlanta where I'm from in the urban uh, urban areas of the city uh, near the West End, Morehouse College over there where Dr. King went to college. Right. And let me just say as an aside. Uh-oh. Dr. King was not a biblical Christian. Right. He was not I have read Dr. King's papers that he wrote at, while he was a student at Crozer Theological Seminary. Yep. The Stanford University website has uh, uh, housed on his website by, by a grant from the King Center uh, all of Dr. King's papers. And uh, if you read Dr. King's uh, views on Christ, he does not believe he was inherently uh, deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, on his, uh, he, 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 he believes that Christ came into an understanding of God's will and that that brought him, that understanding brought him into oneness with God. But one of King's papers that he wrote um, on preaching while he was at Crozier, uh, this is a direct quote from that paper. He, King says, I am a staunch advocate of the social gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so King was a good humanist. Mm-hmm. He was a good moralist. But King was, a, was not a biblical Christian because he denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Yep. You cannot deny the de- deity of Jesus Christ on which the entire uh, Christian faith is built upon and then call yourself uh, a Christian. But what I wanted to say as an aside to that, again, the lie of the social gospel is that it puts the onus, again, under this whole banner of unity, it puts the onus on white people to understand the experience of black people as if all black people share the same experience. Right. We don't. And I've said this on a couple of episodes of our podcast before. Listen, um, every injustice that has been done to me has been done by somebody who looks like me. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice in my life. By, each time by a young black man who looked like me. I've had my car stolen by a black person. I have my, I've had a house robbed before by a black person. So, again, going back to the, the, the old, old lady who you encountered, she is no, no more guilty of... of uh, uh, Misunderstanding sure. uh, uh, your construct of an of of being a black person by ethnicity than black people who put themselves forward as if they're the mouthpiece for every person. Yeah. It's like I've said. Listen, the term black community is a misnomer. Is a misnomer. I I have I'm in community with you sure. by virtue of those things that I have in common mm-hmm. with you. Okay. Uh, us, we're not even in common with regard to the amount of melanin we have. I right. have more than you. Right. I'm, I'm not mad at. I'm up. not mad at you, man. You keep bringing that up. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I keep bringing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. I'm good. Like I'm. I'm good. All right. All right. So again, going back to whole to the, to whole, the whole biblical exposition of what unity is. Unity is agreement with God. Right. Yeah. It's simple. Let if me you, let me let me jump off. Go of ahead. Let me jump do, off. Do of your thing, man. Something that you, that you said earlier because it, it, it was the point. It, it was the, it was the back end of the point, and you and you kind of alluded to it. I want to I want to put an exclamation point on it because when the when the thing that's said about about you know the, the most segregated hour uh, is Sunday morning at eleven o'clock, one of the things that does not happen is when that's stated. The intent of the statement is for white pastors to be the ones wringing their hands. Right. The intent of the statement is for white pastors to feel some, some level of guilt. Right. Some measure of, oh my goodness, I've got to do something. 
right? That statement is never made with the thought process that black pastors right. have now got to go home right. and get on their knees right. and pray to God mm-hmm. to figure out what they need to do to get more white folk right right. into their right. circles. Right. That's never the case. It's, it's like I've always said before, when, when people talk about multi-ethnic church, what they really mean is a multicolored church. Yep. That's, that's really what they mean. Every church, if you go biblically and you understand the, that the, as, as scriptures t- teaches in the Old Testament that the life of the life is in the blood, mm-hmm. every church is already multi ethnic. No, none of us here is one hundred percent pure one ethnicity. None of us. Yeah, y'all keep telling me that, man. I keep. None of that. us is purely one hundred percent of one ethnicity. So every church is already multi ethnic. And let me go a, a level deeper than that. A church, so you can have a multi-ethnic congregation and not have a multi-ethnic church. You, what, what we have right here now is a multi-ethnic congregation. But I can't say that all these individuals are believers. Mm-hmm. You have a multi-ethnic church when you have multi-ethnic believers. You don't have a multi-ethnic church just by virtue of multi-ethnic people sitting mm-hmm. in the pews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's not a single unbeliever in the church. The church is comprised of believers. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your ethnicity is. Okay, so we already have multi-ethnic church churches, but what those folks want, they want more multicolored churches, and, and specifically, predominantly white evangelical churches becoming more multicolored. Right. Even a even a one hundred percent white evangelical church is multi-ethnic. Right. But what they want is multicolored. And they're doing that on the basis of pragmatism. Right. What, how, can, how can we change the musical style? I, I, I sat, I, I've sat with a, a young man who his thought process was, okay, on our worship team, we have to have a Hispanic. We have to have, uh, and they, they, re, they really leave Asians out. So y'all are kind of left out. <laughs> but they got to have a black and got to have a female. And then maybe the white male gets a shot if he can, if he can <sighs> sing. Yeah. <laughs> now, if he, if he can just sing, he ain't got a shot. It's but like, if he can it's, sing, he, he's like, got a shot. It's like the it's like the intersectionality version of the Christmas song on the first day of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Only the intersectionality version. <laughs> on the first day of Christmas, my my pastor gave to me one black female, two Latin Americans, three Hispanics, four <laughs> Asians. You know, you could just go all down the intersectional oh my intersectional goodness. tree. You know, then, yeah. you, then you end up with a partridge in a pear tree. Right. But see, we, we, we've covered this in our episode on woke worship. Yes. In our episode on work, woke worship, which was a two-part episode, yeah. we talked about how pastors were voicing their frustrating at not being able to meet all the demands of their uh, multicultural congregation that was rooted in a social gospel. Right. They had people complaining, well, I'm from this background. I, I, I wish you guys would sing more songs that I can relate to in my cultural experience and right. so on and so forth. Right. That's an example of us trying to take the gospel back from God. And, and by that, I want to I point to what scripture actually says at the end of the day, the church, the, the church is the body of Christ. Right. And, and at, at, you know, Revelation chapter, chapter seven, verse nine, after, after this, I looked, I'm, I'm reading from the Come on, bro. Elect, elect standard, elect standard That's version. That's right. I just won't put that out there. <laughs> we give, give fair treatment. Equality. Equality. Equity. <laughs> Equity. Justice. Justice. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. 
where there's ethnos. Yep. From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Now the social justician will pick this up and say, see, we're supposed to be multi-ethnic, multi-racial. We're supposed to be every tribe, tongue, nation. They'll amplify this verse and strip it from its context in an effort to tell you what you need to now do as a result. Well, the reality is if, if you read the verse, what's in view here is that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. What's being amplified and elevated is the beauty and majesty of God who saves and who as a result of salvation has brought unto himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's not the people first and then, well, we'll mm-hmm. see what God did. Great point. It's what God did and look at what it, what, look at what it wrought. Here, here are the yeah. people as a yeah, result. Exactly. You know, as we come upon uh, the top of the hour, I think we're, we're, we're about to wrap up here in just a second. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 24, where Paul writes to the Corinthians, brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. <laughs> in that condition in which he was, that's a, he was that's called. That's a problem verse for the social justice. That's a problem verse for social justice yeah. because the social justice will say, well, the condition in which you were called, that's, uh, that's privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's privilege. Uh-huh. That's privilege. See, but I would take them back to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, verse 45. You want to know what privilege is? Privilege is Matthew 5.45, where Matthew writes that God causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust, on the evil and the, un- and the good. That's privilege right there. Every breath you take is privilege. Mm-hmm. Every heartbeat is privilege. Amen. Every grace of God is a privilege. Okay? So what we have to do as Christians, and I'll wrap it up, Virgil, I'll let you have the last word. I just want to encourage you all out there with one thing. To, I like to I like to quote R.C. Sproul. Uh, the the last live Sproul every every now and then Dr. Sproul would do a, a live Twitter Q and A. The last one he did uh, before he went to heaven, um, they took a question from a young man who said, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm a young college graduate. I'm I'm, I'm uh, praying about going into the ministry, going into seminary. Do you have any advice for a young man like me, Dr. Sproul?" As Dr. Sproul only can do. He gave him a three word response. He said, get to work. So my exhortation to you is get to work, get to work, getting in this book Mm -hmm. because every answer to every issue we're seeing in society and culture today is responded to in this book. Get to work, get to work, becoming a better theologian, get to work, becoming a better apologist. Get to work becoming a better expositor. Get to work preparing yourself with biblical answers to the question that the world is going to bring against you. That's what Virgil and I do on the Just Thinking Podcast. We get to work. That's why our episodes are two hours, two and a half hours, three hours long. Because we do the work. And you have to do the same. I'll I'll, I'll simply close with this and just tell you that um, uh, our hope would be to amplify two things. One uh, is the sufficiency of scripture, Mm -hmm. which is why we always talk about, we turn pages. You know, my man right here has got my man, Kevin, he's got the shirt. We turn, show, show them your church, yeah. Show, 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 show them your church. Show them your shirt. We turn pages, bro. We turn pages. <laughs> we turn pages. 
I just put you on blast. <laughs> the wife is like, no, he didn't just do that. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we, we have a good time. You guys know that. That's why you, you, you check in with us. It's just two brothers who love God, love one another, and, and love, love the word. I want to open it up and look at it and, and examine it from a standpoint of understanding how it speaks to everything that we engage in culture. The Bible is sufficient. Last thing I'll say is that the gospel is enough. I know I said I'm, I'm the king of revisions, right? So I need, to, I need to re- we're, revise We're used it. to it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have to say this. For those of you who have not listened to episode 108 on critical race theory, I encourage you to listen to the episode because one of the things you will learn uh, in addition to the origin of critical theory under which critical race theory rests, we take you all the way back to the origins of critical theory in um, Marxist Germany, uh, Max Horkheimer in the early 1930s. We give you an education and an overview overview of what critical race theory is all the way back to the early 1900s and then bring you back to to today. But one thing you will learn in that episode is that the word critical does not mean analytical. It does not mean analytical. It means the exact opposite of that. So yes, it's a three and a half, half hour episode. Spread it out as, as you wish, but listen to episode 108 of the Justin King Podcast on critical race theory. And I promise you, you will be prepared thoroughly to respond to that heresy. The Bible is sufficient. The gospel is enough. We want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. Live Tune from Ligonier. Yeah. yeah. All right, now that's done, I'm going to talk now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3JT. That's G3JT.